Okay, well, we'll see if we can keep this discussion going as we have class so you keep those juices flowing, but it's good to have you here tonight. It's a little strange to walk into the building and be this bright and, and light after it's been so dark for so long, but no complaints. You know you live in Michigan when you roll your windows down when it's only 47 degrees and you're not smoking. You know, it's just like, hey, it's, it's warm in my car, so it's nice to feel like it's finally warm, even though warm is a relative thing. If you're in Florida, 54 might feel kind of cold. All right, let's pray. We'll, have a, we'll get rolling tonight with identifying your sharing style, which might have been interesting for you as you work through this. Let's pray and we'll get rolling. Father, thank you for your love and grace to us. We thank you that tonight uh, we are being reminded that you didn't cookie-cutter all of us so that we just, like a factory, are simply walking through life doing the same thing in the same way. We have the same message, and that one and only message is... No one can come to you but by Christ. And yet, Father, we are deliverers of that message, and we are different, and it's by your design. We thank you for that. And as we talk through the differences as well as some of the similarities, give us wisdom to be able to apply what we learn so that we'll be more effective in communicating the message as ambassadors of Christ. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Right. Okay, so this is word association. This is negative word association. So if I give you a word, you've got to think of negative words to associate with it. And I'm going to start with a hard one. Chocolate. What's an, okay. okay, that's just the first one, I guess. What else? Any other negative? You'd probably be like, there's no other negative words for chocolate. Agony. Agony. All right, yeah. You went through a teenage stage and you, yeah, you nope. played dot to dot at one point. You know? Addictive. Okay, addictive. All right, so let's go to another word. Car. Negative words about car. Crash. Craft. Insurance. Especially in the state of Michigan. Expensive. Yeah, expensive. What about vacation? Negative. Costly. Expensive weather. Expensive weather. Coming back. Coming back. That would be depression. Yeah, no kidding. Work. This is an easy give me negative words. And don't think of other four letter words when you think of work. Okay. Yeah. Now, here's, here's where I'm going with this. When we think of the word evangelism, all right, there are some things, and I don't mean the message and what we're communicating, but there are some natural negative associations we can sometimes feel related to evangelism when it comes to our mind. What are some of those? What are some of those things that have come to your mind? In Aggressive. Yeah. Pardon? Aggressive. Aggressive, all right. What else? Badgering. Badgering, all right. That's what a Michigander would say. Not just aggressive, but we're badgering because we're Michigan. Yeah, yeah, whatever. What else? Assurance, I was saying, like, you want to make sure you know what you're talking about. Okay, all right. Yeah, and, and so when we talk about evangelism, oftentimes there are things that come to our mind, but part of it is we, here's what I grew up thinking in terms of evangelism was two things, really. One of them was evangelism was we had an evangelist come and we had evangelistic <laughs> meetings. That was evangelism. As well as another component of that, and these aren't necessarily negative. These are just word association now. The other one is evangelism is door-to-door, knocking on doors. All right. So we've come to associate certain things with that term evangelism so that whether we realize it or not, we've boxed our mind into certain preconceived ideas about how do we do that. Because if we've grown up with a system, we've grown up with a, a, a mode of doing it, that we don't always feel comfortable with that mode. Matter of fact, if you read the article by Mark Middleberg, I think probably the f- most unusual thing about what he said was, he said after he did that gig for, I think it was during the summertime, for a couple of months going door-to-door evangelism, he concluded that wasn't him. He wasn't cut out for that. And then of all things, Bill Hybels hires him as his evangelism pastor. Like, go figure. But he had to learn and wrestle through that. That particular style of going door-to-door wasn't him, and it wasn't going to work. But there was a style that he uncovered and trying to think through this himself that was helpful to him. So, yes, when we looked at the overview of the issue, sometimes we think of evangelists, we think of, as they said in the opening paragraph, slick and pushy, all right? Someone's slick, and, and, and they know how to convince you, which is going along with this marketing idea. They're going to just talk you into being a Christian, or they're pushy, 
just downright guilting you into being a Christian, but each of us that we're looking at in this in this particular issue, each of us has a natural style of evangelism. The question is, how do we identify that so that we can be effective and fulfilled rather than frustrated and fearful? Because that's too often what it is. Fearful and frustrated rather than satisfied, fulfilled, and effective. And, and that's what we want to look at tonight. Now, as we start, it might help if I did this, get us rolling. One thing I just, as I've started every week with these, these scriptures, and I'm not going to have us read the whole thing, I'm just going to focus, have us focus on number five, number five, verse five. Um, all of these verses are talking about, as we've said over and over, Paul asking the Colossian church to pray for him in regard to opportunities and clarity with the gospel, as we all need. But verse 5 is interesting because I think verse 5 can kind of dovetail into what we're talking about tonight. And that is, identifying your sharing style means, in part, walking in wisdom toward those who are outside. In other words, walking in such a way that we conduct ourselves in a wise way toward unbelievers. Which means, if you're, as we looked at, if you had a chance to do some of the lesson, there is one style that basically is an aggressive style. And that may not be you, but it might work with somebody, but there's a lot of somebodies that won't work with. I mean, you go after them, they're going to run for the hills, or they're going to shut you off, and they're going to talk with you. But when we're looking at our situation, walking in wisdom means how has God best geared and equipped me to communicate the gospel that fits the way I am? That doesn't mean that any of us get off the hook, and I hate to put it that way because it's not a bad thing to share the gospel. It's a wonderful thing. But we get ourselves off the hook because we conclude either I'm not gifted with that or I don't do a very good job. And the reason we say we don't do a very good job is because we think in terms of this particular style of evangelism doesn't work for me. So door-to-door or cold calling doesn't work for me. But if you saw in the lesson, there's at least six approaches that were illustrated that can be very helpful. And uh, just curious, and we're going to come to this in a couple minutes, how many of you were, this is the one and only time I'm going to ask you about your homework. Any other times, I'm not going to guilt you at all. And it's not even a guilt, just curiosity. How many of you had time to do the your style of sharing? You had a chance to do that, all right? And I know my poor wife, I should have gave her my book. I did it so she couldn't do it, and then it would be like cheating, all right? Or we come up with weird answers. And we're going to talk about that and look at your sharing style and how that played out. But as we, as we look at the issues... Uh, one of the things I, I thought about as I looked at these questions, every time there are key questions in grasping the issue, and when I first read these questions, here's what, here's what went through my mind, for better or for worse, all right? I, I, I read through these four questions, and I came away with two, I thought, in my mind, are duh questions, and two are thought questions, like... That's pretty much a given, yes. So, like, for example, the first question, should all Christians share their faith in the same way? What would you say to that? No. No. So that's kind of, to me, it's kind of a dog question. Like, no, we shouldn't do that, all right? So there's not much thought we had to give to that. Now, the second question, can there be different styles that correspond with each individual's unique gifts, personalities, and makeup? Now, we'll give an easy answer, yes, but until we had this particular chapter, we may have had a hard time identifying those styles, even though we might have given a quick answer of yes. So to me, that was more of a thought question. Then there's the third question, should everyone in a church be encouraged to be involved in the same evangelism project, or should a church use multiple methods for people to share their faith according to their God-given style? Thought question or duh question? Duh. Okay, in other words, it's like, yeah, of course, we shouldn't just be cookie-cutter boxed into this same way of doing it. So here's the thought then. Here's more of the thought question. How can you share the gospel in a way that fits who you are? Short question, but a thought question. It's asking us then, how can we, given the way God has made us, I'm looking around the room at different people with different skills, different personalities, different ways of thinking, but yet a commonality, and that commonality is Christ and our communication of the gospel. But that doesn't mean then because of that commonality that we all do it the same way. And that's that's the encouragement part. So that being said, we go to the sound bites. 
I had asked in, in your homework, which matter of fact, I did remember, didn't leave it laying in some room like last week. Before you leave, the half sheets are right there for your homework for this week, all right? Did anybody not get the email? That's what I wanted to make sure that everybody did get the email. All right, good. All right, concerning the sound bites, uh, here are two statements, and I'm just curious, your, in a sense, your gut reaction to these two statements as it relates to the subject, identifying our sharing style. Here's what the first one said, I struggle with evangelism programs where I have to confront strangers with the gospel. I'd much rather take gifts to the hospital and show people God's love. Is that still evangelism? Okay. Now, unfairly, if we... If, you, if you've done all of the homework, it's kind of like, yeah, you know the answer to this, and you've already got that figured out. But when we first read that, did we automatically say yes with that? Did we automatically think of that in terms of evangelism, or do we just look at that as hospital visits? Because sometimes we think that way. Okay, we're going to do a hospital visit rather than an evangelistic visit. Um, so, it's enough of me blabbing. What is your reaction to that? Or the second statement, people who talk about different evangelism styles are just avoiding having to do things that feel a little uncomfortable to them. And honestly, that has been said and probably still is said in some churches that stick to very traditional ways like, well, if you're going to be like the early church, you're going to go out and do this in this way. Well, let's just start with that picture of what's wrong really quick. Because if you're going to be like the early church, you're not meeting in a building, you're meeting in a home. And let's just go from there and realize you're never going to do it like you're in the church. But here is what some people will say in order to force you to follow their system of door-to-door or here's the way to do it. All right? So that being said, as you're looking at me waiting for me to stop talking, what are your thoughts when you read those? Have you thought of evangelism in terms of other than just specific event-related opportunities or going door to door. Yeah, go ahead. I, I'm just thinking that um, evangelism, by you know, part of evangelism is ministering to people, um, but at some point, at some point during the relationship, even if it isn't every time you see them, every time you visit the hospital, um, or, or assist somebody with something, but at some point, for it to be evangelism, they have to get a sense of of where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. So the gospel needs to be there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yep. Eventually. Okay, good. Phyllis, and then we'll go over here to Jenny. <clears throat> I was going to say, I think there's a place for both. Mm-hmm. I, I, I truly understand. I, I've been involved with both. And uh, the church that I come from in Tennessee is very, <coughs> they do have a, an evangelism program always in place. It's not always the same they experiment with what works in the community and, and things and and I've been heavily involved in that sometimes and we've seen people come to Christ that mm-hmm. way where you're going door to door where you're where you're visiting someone with your evangelistic where your 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 method that you're learning in the classroom uh, and you take it to someone who has visited the church and you're going on a, a call right but I but I also know that people really they respond to loving, caring, mm-hmm. going out of your way to spend time with them when they're hurting. Okay, and she brings up an interesting point because her, her voice does not betray it, but she lived below the Mason-Dixon line, which, how do we describe the South? It's the what? Uh, it's the Bible Belt, Belt all right? Could so, I say something about that? Just no, not a chance. You had your chance. You're done. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Phyllis. What I've learned in the 12 years I lived there is that the Bible Belt, they talk. Yeah, but they're much like us. Right, absolutely. Lots of talk, a little bit of doing. Yeah, and, and the difference is, and my point that I was going to swing from that, and that's a great point, is, but after living in the South for four years when I was in college and other times in the South, admittedly, if you're down there for a while, it's like people are a lot friendlier down there. Maybe it's just because they're thawed out. You know, we're frozen up here. Mm-hmm. And, and you come up here, and sometimes you just look like, you know, and it's like, wow, we are, we're, we're more gruff than I realized. So there's just a there is a natural friendliness still to the south that makes it more advantageous times to be able to do that. The north, are you kidding me? You go door to door, it's like, what are you here to steal? Your case in my joint, you know, something bad, you know. Um, so that's part of the difficulty. But you're right. 
the results could still be the same, and that is the person doesn't come to faith in Christ. They're just more polite in the South and receptive to you talking with them about it, but not necessarily receptive to Christ. Jenny? I was going to say what Jan said. Okay. She stole my answer. Okay. So, you know, and my point is simply this. You know, where, where and, and with what Phyllis is saying, I, I hope that six, seven weeks into this, it's not like you think I'm just decrying all plans of evangelism because I'm certainly not doing that. But I do think that we got so plan system oriented that that became, an, quite frankly, an easier way to live guilt-free the rest of our Christian life. In other words, we do visitation on Thursday night from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m., but the other, what is there, 172 hours, 176 hours? How many hours in a week? Pardon? I was going to say, give or take this Yeah, something like that. Thank you. I like this guy. I don't know this guy, but I like this guy. All right. All right. So we only do it for two hours, and the rest of the week we're off the hook, which really is so opposite of what the Bible says. We are a Christian representing Christ all the time, and maybe more intentionally we're going in with the gospel of God, let me put it that way. So... That being said, here's, here's what happened with Chris. If you read in the case study about Chris, he's excited about sharing his faith. He wants to do it. But last week he went out door-to-door church evangelism team and found that he hated every minute of it, just like Mark Middleberg in the article if you read it. Mark hated it. He did it for two months. He thought, this is not me. I remember doing that in the summer of 1981. All right, Summer of 81. We did a lot of doors again. It's like I was looking around the room going, who was alive? It wasn't, all right? I was born in 81. But I remember doing that, going, that's not me either. You know, I did it, and like, I, like I've confessed to you, sometimes I was happy when they didn't answer the door. I could just drop the track and keep rolling. All right? But here's what he says, though, is he found out that there was hospital ministry, and he could go do that. But if you go to the next page, he feels uncomfortable in a hospital environment. And I could tell you stories about how that didn't go real well for me. I always did lots of hospital visits. But there were times when you would be in a hospital room and it's in the dead of winter and you got a heavy coat on and the room's really warm and they decide to tell you every gory bit and detail of what's going on and suddenly you're like, hey, I need some air here, you know. So that may not fit for you. Now, I did it. It was life. But that was an opportunity to show that we care. And the whole point is one of the things that we have to wrestle with, we don't think in terms of that type of ministry as an evangelistic opportunity what Jan is saying is important, and that is there always needs to be a way that we are going toward the gospel, not just simply we're doing good things. Otherwise, we can come across as the social gospel. That is, we're just making people's lives better. But in our quest to drive home the gospel, we have been sometimes too un- imbalanced or unbalanced in our thinking so that we are so quick to get to that point. In other words, we need to take time to show that we care. We need to take time for them to be convinced that this isn't like a business deal. I'm building a relationship, building a relationship, building a relationship, but there's a hidden agenda here. Yeah, for us there is an agenda, and it's not necessarily intended to be hidden, but I don't want them to feel like they are a love project, but I really want to just get to this. I want them to genuinely know that we care, and that's going to take time, and it can get messy. Um, It can get very messy if we're willing to do it. So when we talked about discovering our styles, and I'm just going to buzz down through here before we get to that. Here's the question that it asks after Chris is wrestling with, he's not a hospital guy, he's not a door-to-door guy, what do I do, All right? Well, I answered the question, my simple answer to what was the central issue or question as we're looking at this week is what is or what are the best way or ways for me to share the gospel? Because for me and for you, it's going to be different. And I'll admit, my, my little survey thing did go real well. I mean, I, obviously I didn't answer it right or something. And I'll explain why in a minute. But it, it at least helped us, it helps us to see where we might be geared. And you may or may not agree with the results, but at least it gives us a direction. And then from these scriptures, it gives us some illustrations. So that being said, let's start with that tonight. I'm jumping out of order because the book jumped out of order. If you notice, it didn't go to scriptures and then to the article. It went to the article, and then the scriptures that followed really are just a repeat other than one of them. Uh, I think one of them was different. Uh, 
than the other ones uh, in the article itself. But these were the six sharing styles that Mark Middleberg brought up. They were illustrated by people like Peter, Paul, the blind man, Dorcas, different people, uh, the woman in Samaria. Now, here's where we get to have a little fun. We're halfway through this class, halfway through the, the, uh, the semester in a sense, and, and really it's an interesting thing if you got a chance to do it. As you looked at it, my, my simple questions were, what was the one that came out number one for you? And I'll admit, here, here's why my, my results, I'm like, either I didn't answer them honestly enough or something, because mine were just like goofed up. Because I had, my answers were like 8, 11, 12, 12, 12, 12. So it's like pick two. Well, there's four that are 12, so I have no idea how to do that. So mine didn't work. All right, so did any of you... Any of you have one or two that stuck out as that's your high number? All right, and what were those? All right, let's just kind of work around the room just quickly. Jenny, what was your high one? Assertive. Okay, now that's a surprise. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. She's got, if you know, she's got a bubbly personality and take charge girl. That's why VBS has been doing what it's done for the last two years. But that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean, though, that she's going to be a Peter and preach at people either. That doesn't mean that. That means, though, that she may be more courageous to step into something with somebody that some of us wouldn't. We would want to go to the back door. Did you have another one that was high along with that? High intellectual. Okay. So she's a thinker. So she's going to be able to not only she's going to have to take the time for somebody who is given, like, you know, uh, cop-out answers and go, hey, let's just cut to the chase here as baloney, all right, or whatever. Yes. Joe, did you have your hand raised? Okay, service. So yours is service. Does that, just curious, does that seem like that's who you are in the sense of, I mean, because you work as a nurse, right? No, I work in the lab. Why did I not know that? Why did I think you were a nurse? Because I work in the hospital and I went to see a nurse. Okay. <laughs> so service. So she would be a person, and we're going to look at, try to look at some brainstorming creative ideas because each of us is going to be different. The question is how can we use that difference in serving? Gene. Service. Service, all right, same thing. And I can see that because Jean's been in here just doing all kinds of stuff. She's, I mean, so much so with the so-and-so ladies. She's got a sign out here that you've seen coming in, all right, because she loves to do it. Kim? Interpersonal. Okay, interpersonal, all right. From those of you that read, what what was different about interpersonal? Maybe maybe Kim can shed a light on it, but what, what was unique about interpersonal from this lesson and what... What what is some of the hallmarks of being an interpersonal person? It's Kim. It is? <laughs> it's yeah. just Kim. Yeah. yeah, interpersonal essentially is relational. All right, you you have people that you're relating to, you relate with, you connect with, and from those circles, you know, some of them the launching point is service, some of them the launching point is just simply relationships. All right, Phyllis. Interpersonal. Okay, interpersonal. Taking time to talk, taking time to get to know them, and through that, there you go. Jan? And I don't know who raised their hand, so if you don't... Okay, no problem. Who else is next? Come back to me. I'm totally lying. All right, she's, she's doing it quick. i got to calculate here. Invitational. Okay, invitational. All right? So, when it comes to the Living Last Supper, she's going to be all over that. You know, Betty's going to be like, hey... I, I'm more comfortable with saying, hey, this is going on at our church. We're going to have this. Or, for example, with VBS, maybe go door to door. Maybe I'm not sharing the gospel, but I'm inviting children to come to VBS. That's going to be more comfortable for her. Dana, what about you? Interpersonal. Interpersonal, all right. Dana's a real relational guy. You too? Interpersonal. Okay, interpersonal. How many interpersonals do we have, all right? There's all your, let me just have a chat with you, all right? Good. <laughs> Testimonial and interpersonal. Okay. What's the difference between interpersonal and testimonial? And I'm not putting her on the spot. I'm just seeing if you guys remember the difference. Yes, Phyllis. Testimonial is me to you communication. Interpersonal is too bad. Good. Good way to put it. Very good way to put it. Yeah. Uh, testimonial is that doesn't mean I'm going to give you a 
Romans 3.10, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Romans 10.9 and 10, Romans 10.13. I'm not going to walk through the system. I'm going to just kind of be talking around. I'm going to be meandering through the gospel as I tell you my journey. You know, I'm telling you my journey, which um, it could be a short one. It could be a long one, depending on how I came to faith in Christ. And interspersed with that, I'm going to put scripture. If I go, da, 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 that's really not testimony. That's almost can't. You know, it's, it's, it's prepared. Phil? Um, one was interpersonal, and two was testimonial. Okay. Yeah, are you guys same or opposite? Pretty much the same. I thought if I didn't do that, somebody else would do that. Yeah, I'd buy it. And, and so, you know, one of the things that's interesting as we go through this, and, and I, I wanted to just highlight that. I noticed the only person in the room that said intellectual was Jenny uh, as her second one. Anybody else hit that as one of your high ones, intellectual? All right. It's like number three. That was number three? <laughs> yeah, but that's that's good. You know, you got the inner person. Once I rope you in, now I'm going after your brain. All right? I tied three ways. Tied three ways. See, I tied four ways. That's I'm like, I have no idea. I'm a mutt. Okay. Yeah, my, I was interpersonal for number one, and then I tied with assertive, intellectual, and service. Okay. Now, here's now, where we jump. You? I'm sorry? What were you? Hey, wait. You should ask. Well, you have, if you ask us to, God, yes, I do. Well, here's the four tie ones. I tell you right now, assertive was my lowest. That's just not my gig. That's not my gig. Um, intellectual was 11, and then testimony, interpersonal, invitational service were all 12. So obviously, I didn't do this right or something. I have no idea. So it's like that didn't help me, kind of. But the article was very helpful. Because it, it pulled out from scriptures and from scriptural illustrations how different people in a context and culture that was also very different than our context and culture today. It's 2,000 years removed. It's countries removed. It's a lot of things removed. But yet a commonality is there's some same ways we can do it. Now, I, I admit, Peter's confrontational approach, that can work well but not very often, right? And I tell you right now, from us having lived in China, that would not work well at all. Confrontation is not a natural part of Chinese society. You use backdoor approach, you don't come straight in. But the funny thing is, I mean, we, we've seen where they're backdoor on so many things, but they would have visitors come to the house churches and and they would you know, have them stand up, tell who they are, and are, they would ask them in front of everybody, are you a believer or an unbeliever? And they I'm not, I'm not a believer. And if they are not a believer, then when the service is over, they get two or three and pull them aside and start talking with them. So it's funny because in that culture, that's not naturally how they do it, but somehow in the midst of their evangelism, that's how a lot of it is done. Uh, that's not to say that that's how all of it's done, but we experience that numerous times. So that's why I don't want to just categorically say it. Now, Peter, obviously, let's go to page 6.3. And just walk through these six tonight to help us. And then my goal was to wrap it up with some discussion of what are some brainstorming practical ways that we can use these different styles. And we may not do all six since we aren't seeing all six highlighted here tonight. All right. So Peter was confrontational. And you may say, well, he was a preacher. Yes. And so that's a little bit different using his illustration. But the point was, well, here, matter of fact, let's go to this two, two points. I'll just take us to. Yeah, God used Peter even though, as he says in the article, he was the ready-shoot aim. You know what that means? You know, he didn't think, he shot, and then later, okay, let me do that. But go to page 6.4. That first full paragraph in that left column, it says, Do you realize that there are people in your world who won't come to Christ until someone like Peter holds their feet to the fire? And this man, Mark Middleberg, said, I was one of them. And he goes on to tell the story of how somebody shot straight with him. Now, that doesn't always work. And I would say that's probably more the rare thing. That it's probably more the exception than the norm. But there are people who can shoot straight. And sometimes the reason, and I should say sometimes, oftentimes the reason they can shoot straight is because they've also taken the time to do interpersonal. Um, you can't just walk up and just blister somebody off the street with the gospel no matter how sort of you are. 
right? So obviously, even if you are assertive in your personality, there has to be some interpersonal going on for somebody to be willing to hear that straight shooting. There had to have been some caring going on. So Peter is the unusual, but even though it says this about Peter, when it says holding Peter holding their feet to the fire and, and, and Mark Middleberg saying, I was that kind of guy, what we do have to be careful with in a sort of style is we can't play God. Uh, we can't play God with being strong because if you remember, you remember way back at the beginning of this class, not like today, but like weeks ago, when we were looking at that book, um, Soul Winning Made Easy, where they were putting intense pressure on them, getting them to make a decision, that's what I would say, assertive playing God. All right, That's not what we're looking for. We're looking at assertive when it needs to be assertive. And again, I would say that's often the that's often not the norm, but it can be in a given situation. Second one is Paul. Paul, who was not considered the greatest communicator, um, quite frankly, um, sometimes the best, and this is in a guy's world, it's not a girl's world, so I don't understand girl's world, don't want to be in a girl's world, ladies' world, whatever you want to call it. All right, guy's world. Uh, some of the easiest guys to talk to are white-collar work, uh, blue-collar worker guys because they're just regular guys. And that's what Peter and James and John were. They were blue-collar worker guys. They were fishermen. They were easy to talk with. They were easy to build relationship with. Paul was not that. Paul was studied at the feet of Gamaliel, had like seminary, MDiv, THM, doctorate, the whole nine yards. He had it all. So he had the arguments. So he might not have connected well with the, the blue-collar worker. He might not have connected well, even though he was a tent maker. That was his livelihood. He spent his times in the place of religious thinking, the synagogues. Every time he went to a new city, when he started churches, when he was on his missionary journeys, he went to the synagogues, and he was able to think through life then in terms of the other side of the cross. All right. So Paul could do that. And so, obviously, as we looked at, if you had a chance to read it, Paul was the best person sent by God to Athens to talk with people who, if Peter would have done this. I mean, think of this. If Peter would have been in Acts 17, because if you remember the book of Acts, Peter is the key player to a point. And then he's gone in the book of Acts, and Paul is the rest of the book of Acts. If Peter was still on the scene and he was the guy going to the Athenians, I almost guarantee it could be probably something like this. This guy's an idiot. He doesn't know anything. Because they would have dismissed him out of hand. You're not educated. You don't talk like an educated person. You don't think like one. But Paul could do that. Paul could do that with a crowd that would be willing to hear and be able to say to them, I've seen all your images, and I saw one that said to an unknown God, and I'm here to tell you who that unknown God is and lay it out in a way that would cause these people to sit up and listen rather than dismiss him out of hand like, who is this guy? All right, if Peter would have come in saying, here's who it is, here's what it is, you better listen, you better repent, they would have stopped, They would have been booing and hissing him before he finished. All right, But that's us. Sometimes we get chances to share the gospel. Sometimes there are people put into our lives that ask us those questions like, okay, so then... If God created everything, where did sin come from? All right? And if God controls everything, why didn't he stop the planes on 9-11? All right? And you get those questions. Now, you may say, well, I'm not an intellectual person, but somebody who is may be able to navigate that in a way that will honor Scripture and will honor God and will open a door to share the gospel. Some of us would be scared to death of those questions. All right? And that's okay doesn't mean we have to be able to answer every question perfectly because even if we did here's what we got to remember even if we did answer every question perfectly the sinful mind will still rebel if they're not if they're not moved by the spirit of god to respond to the truth of god it doesn't matter if you answer them perfectly their heart is still what first corinthians 2 says they're unwilling and unable to accept the truth all right it's not even going to be a part of them so that's the intellectual approach. Now here's where we're getting closer to where we live. The blind man's testimonial approach. Not because it's a blind man, but because it's a testimonial approach, all right? In other words, this blind man, uh, well, let's put it this way. How long had he been blind? 
since birth. Do you think he had, he was a very talented, educated, skilled person? Okay. I mean, we can see a number of illustrations to find that just like people with leprosy, people who were blind in Jesus' day were outcasts, assumed they could do nothing, and left to sit to beg. That's basically it. So, yes, he didn't have much to offer, and he wasn't somebody that people were going to stand up and take notice. Um, obviously, now they do because of the fact that he was blind, but now he could see. But here's the reality. This is part of that I wrestled through when I'm thinking through this. The testimony approach with people like this, uh, honestly, the, the largest group of people that we're going to approach is going to be often through this way, and that is through testimony. He spoke from his experience um, from what our life was. Uh, each of us may be different. I, I, I went to church from the time I was born trusted Christ when I was six. I can still remember the man, Seymour Collins, a man that's long since been with the Lord. On a Sunday night, your great-grandfather, great right? Great-grandfather. Um, was a man that, when I went forward, went in the back and, and talked with the man, and the man that I spoke with was her great-grandfather, um, and, and trusted Christ. And, and and again, I don't have a big, rough backstory. Uh, you know, I was in this biker gang, and you know, and, and did all these evil things. Now i got a brother-in-law that you know, I had a brother-in-law that lived in Philadelphia and was, you know, dealing drugs and almost died of an overdose and and did all kinds of evil things. And his dad was a prison guard, only to find out that his son's in prison at one point. And uh, and but yet God changed him, changed his brother. They were both messed up. So he's got more of a story. And yet I, I remember him. He used to carry a picture years ago that showed him with his long hair. I mean, like hair down the middle of his back. And, and he finally got rid of that because he's like, I don't want that to be the reason why I'm telling people about Jesus Christ. Now it's like he doesn't have any hair, so he probably wishes he had some of that back, you know. But most often, people are going to be most responsive to the way the blind man shared his faith. Um, people don't want to feel like, and, and we, we did this sometimes with evangelism programs. We often made people feel like we're working through a system. You know, like it's like somebody coming to your door to sell you something. And the dude is talking so stinking fast and saying so many things. You're like, catch your breath, dude. But when you catch your breath, I'm going to tell you no so I can save you some time. The answer is no. I don't want whatever you have. But we did, this, we did the same thing. And that is the testimonial approach is sharing from life to life and taking the time to do that. And, and here's, here's an important sentence out of this whole testimonial approach section. Go to 6.5. Top left column, the last paragraph of this section about the blind man's testimonial approach. Here's what that first sentence of the last paragraph said. Effective testimonies don't have to be dramatic. The problem is we think in terms of that. I don't have testimonies. I don't have a big story. I don't have something excited, exciting that will catch people's attention. Well, that's not really... I, I don't want them to walk away going, yeah, that guy was really goofed up. You should hear the stories about this guy. And then they miss the point because we told them all this backstory. Um, and so people like me, maybe like some of you who are saved, grew up in church, didn't have all these bad things going on, we feel like we don't have a story. But we do. The question is, how do we communicate that story in a way that maybe some of them will relate to? Because I will run into people who went to church for years and years and years, but they're not a believer because their parents made them go to church. My parents made me go to church, but eventually I became a Christian. That's the difference. And there will be people like that. All right, now let me just pause for a second. We're halfway through these, and I don't want to lose you as we go through the night. Any comments or questions on, on what we've talked about so far? The assertive the intellectual, and then the testimonial. Okay, moving on. Number four, interpersonal. This one was a big one, all right? Which, basically putting it is, this is friendship evangelism. But here's the part that breaks down that we've talked about for a couple weeks now. Friendship evangelism only is working, interpersonal relationship is only going to work if... I'm still maintaining or at least pursuing some type of friendships outside of the church in order to do that. So that assumes that I haven't, I won't say burned my bridges, because that's not a, I, I, 
I'm not saying we do that necessarily as a Christian. Some people have done that. But Matthew was a guy who, like say, for example, he was a tax collector. So this is like somebody who's an IRS agent reaching out to their IRS agent people that everybody goes, yeah, they all hate us just like lawyers. They say we're all crooks and thieves and liars, you know. All right, so I reach out to the people that I can relate to. Uh, somebody who is a pipe fitter, somebody who's an electrician, somebody who's done that can relate to somebody else who's done those types of things and, and can communicate in a way that I couldn't. I could try to act like that. But in the midst of that, part of what it is is drawing in friendship. Now, here's the key thing I wanted us to notice. Underneath this interpersonal approach with Matthew, obviously we could say, well, he had the money to do it because he was kind of well off because they were crooks. But here's what it says, fourth paragraph down, where you see the sentences. It says, the vantage point of friendship. You see that? Okay, follow along there. It says, the vantage point of friendship gives us the highest possibility of influence in the lives of others. And, and this is what it's saying about somebody who is interpersonal, the end of the paragraph. This person tends to be warm, others-centered individuals who enjoy deep levels of communication and trust with those they're reaching out to. Deep levels of communication and trust. What is that going to take? All right. That was an easy answer, and you all said the right answer. You know, and that is somebody who does interpersonal approach and, and, and wants to pursue it and feel like that's the way I'm geared. You're going to have to keep telling yourself it's going to take time. And time is okay because God controls the clock. I don't control the clock. It's not because I waited too long, I waited too long, I waited too long. And they moved away. Now, sometimes that's happened, and we feel like, I failed, I dropped the ball, I blew it. But the reality is this. Again, remember we said back to 1 Corinthians 3, maybe God put us in their lives just simply to plant it or to water it, and we're never going to see the harvest because somebody else is going to harvest it. And, and that's where interpersonal is taking time. So then it asks questions underneath that. It says, do you enjoy having people into your home, sharing a meal, spending time in conversation? And, and it really boils down to, am I willing to take the time to not just get to know somebody, but to genuinely show that I care? And it takes time, and it takes a willingness to listen. Okay? Now, Samaritan woman, invitational approach. And I already said this when Betty mentioned it. Um, the reality is, all of us, even though that might not have popped up on our list, that's that can be one that all of us can do. That's why we intentionally, at community, like most churches, have what we call outreach events. We don't want it to be that it's only outreach events or visitation nights, because then we say, well, we did that, so now we're off the hook the other 360 days a year. <coughs> but it is an opportunity that is what we might call backdoor evangelism. And that is, we're not bringing them in the front door of the church, we're bringing them in the back door so they see something, they hear something, they experience something that is a part of who we are in hopes that God will use something from the Word, from the, the, the Word being shown to the people's lives in their lives. All right? Janice, you had a question or comment? Yeah, I don't even know how I scored the highest on that. Because I, I invite so many people and they never come. <laughs> I'm like the worst inviter Like I will invite random people Like the other day some Mormons Came to my door, I didn't know they were Mormons They gave me a card and invited me And I was like, oh, hold on And I gave them our separate And I said, come to our church And Scott was at the door and he's like It's a really good church And then they walked away and he goes, what do they have going And I open it and I go, oh, they're Mormons He goes, what? You think they'll come? And I was like, nope. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. I literally invite everybody to everything, and no one ever comes. Yeah, well, and, and That's here's... That's not true. I, I don't understand how I got she that. She met this lady in the grocery store or something like that, and you invited them to come. They ended That's up the, the one person family. that has yeah. ever come to anything, and that was so oh, randomly weird that I found her. I came to her house when she invited me. I invited her to the lady's so tea, and she actually that they don't come. The point is that you're regularly inviting. Admittedly, we live in a culture that, yeah, we live in a culture that unless they know you, at least a little more than just, I've seen you before, invitations can fall flat really easily. You can invite like crazy, but if they don't know you, there's a measure where they don't trust you. 
they don't know what's up. What is this place? You know. So I I think what Carol's saying there is, would you say you scored 18 on that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, that's what you just said. You, that's naturally what you do. Well, just because we naturally do it doesn't mean we're guaranteed to be guaranteed to be uh, bringing the results because the results aren't us. And and we do live in a culture right now that doesn't trust one another. Not a chance. I mean, we just don't trust each other. You know, gone are the days that you know we look out for the neighbor, look out for each other, care for each other. And we talk to each other. Now we're like, who's the creep down the street? You know, and now we're looking to see if there's some. We're looking online to find out if there's creeps in our neighborhood, and we find out there is. And how many more other creeps are there? We don't even know about. You know, so we've become a society that doesn't trust people. So our approaches can feel like they fall flat, but the reality is we're a culture that's swiftly in change. Gene. It's like, well, why, why are you giving this to me for free? Why are you inviting me to this? What's, what's the catch? You know, it's always what's the catch or who are you really? All right. So invitational doesn't mean that our given high score means this guarantees we will be good at it. It just means that's our natural way to do it. But at the end of the day, we're fighting against a number of factors. Number one on the list is people are sinners who don't want nothing to do with God. Number two is we live in a culture that has become increasingly distant and untrusting. Even though we have more ways to connect with one another today than we've ever had, we connect with one another less than we ever have in some respects. All right? So that's part of our problem. So The best thing was to find out what their needs were because a lot of them really didn't need that invitation to come to your home. Most of them needed, and we started giving, having clothing and stuff that didn't cost them anything that was, you know, and give them food that they could take, food that was paired. They didn't have to worry about refrigerating mm-hmm. and things like that. So you could give them things, and that, that was the thing where the service product came in, was to, to meeting their needs without inviting them to your home. I know that sounds... Right, no, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. They'd rather and, and, have food. Right. I mean... Well, and that's, that's like making the decisions when, I mean, I used to have to be the bad guy. When I was the assistant pastor years ago, and people would come to the church when I was at Inner City Baptist Church, and there was always people off the street asking for money, you know. And of course, the secretary would be like, "How can you get this one?" It's like, oh, man. You know, because then it's like they want, you know, they want money, and so then I tell them, and you know, some of them come in all with this really well rehearsed story, like many of them do that, and then when I begin to tell them, well, if we gave. Get ready for heaven or what? I have no idea. We never policy money. Yeah, and so the problem was though, if I started to tell them the answer is no and explain why, some of them were gracious, others were just like, you know, I don't even begin to repeat some of the words on the way out the door, you know. But there are others say I, I would tell them, I'll, I'll take you to get some food, you know, I'll take you to go get whatever you need, but I'm not going to give you money if I find a guy that's down and out. But it was constantly. But the rule of thumb was. The word on the street is, if you do that for one, the word gets spread. Oh, that church, they give out money, you know. But here's the hard part for us. Here's where we get torn then. It's like us in China having people begging that actually literally have horrible deformities, but they're used by somebody else. So you don't know, I wish I could give knowing, but I got Chinese friends saying don't give because it's a scam. Even though that person's getting some of the money, somebody else is using them to get more of that money for themselves. So we, we struggle with that, but yet 
the good thing is we don't have to play God. We just have to say, God, who have you put in my life? Here's an opportunity to invite them or an opportunity to show that I care or an opportunity to have a conversation with them because they brought up a really deep thing. Hey, I just had this horrible thing happen. I don't understand why God would do this. And I'm like, well, I didn't know you even thought about God. But they do in this moment because something went really bad. Now, let me just jump to service approach real quick and then just tie this together and then ask for some connection here. Service approach, it was looking at Dorcas. Uh, we know her more as Dorcas than Tabitha. Um, but Dorcas in the New Testament, she was someone that God used Peter to raise her from the dead. She was doing these things in a way that the whole community knew. She was this caring person. She did this. It was like she was known for this. And, and it was one of those things where, you know, we may think I'm not so good at interpersonal. I'm not good at caring in a conversation. Or I'm not assertive. But there are things that I love to do for people. I would love to do this for them. And I, 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 I can think of, like, say, for example, you have ministries to unwed mothers. Uh, what's to say? And I'm just totally shooting off the top of my head. I'll give you a uh, making up one and then a real one. You know, there could be a ministry for unwed mothers so that perhaps you say, hey, I would love to make a gift package for these unwed mothers who decide to keep the baby, who have nothing to start with, and I'm going to give them their first baby shower in a sense, just a little baby shower. I'm going to knit some things, sew some things, make a little baby blanket, embroider with the name of their baby that they come up with, whatever. Something simple like that that just shows you're caring for them, you know? Um, it, it's not anything huge, big, but it's something like that. Another service one is one that our, our previous church at Inner City, and also there's a lady, John and Sharon Seal, who come to church here now. Sharon has told me that she's been involved for two or three years now with a Muslim ministry over somewhere in Dearborn. She gave me the business card, and it's just kind of like an ESL, getting to know them, building relationships, just like... Our, our church in, in Allen Park, Inner City, does it with Chinese students. They have all these students come to Wayne State working on masters, PhDs, and they have uh, learning lunch where they're getting to know them, having lunch with them, spending time with them. And for Chinese people, that culture, that's off the charts huge because they take time. I mean, they are some of the world's best hosts. We think we're good hosts. Until we meet Chinese, we're like, man, we are just sticking the butts because we're like, hey, there's your room. Let me know if you need anything. They would never do that. That would be an insult. They they will they will keep giving you things to the point it's like, please, just no, I don't need anything. I'm fine. I'm good. Because that's how they'll take care of you. So if if I want to reach people, I'm going to try to find out where they connect, where it will work, and find a way to serve them in whatever way that may be. Now. I'm going to pull it back to the scripture we looked at at the beginning, and that was Colossians 4, 5. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. That doesn't necessarily mean that we're trying to come up with a slick way to make it work. And it's not, you're looking in your notes, I'm sorry. It was the the slide that I put up here, way back here. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. I'm pulling it back to that. That's why I wanted to start with that, come back to that, because... If you read through these, we didn't have time to read through all the illustrations scripturally from Peter, from Paul, from the blind man, the woman in Samaria, all these different ones and how they shared it. If you look at the woman in Samaria, this is one of the things we don't see in the Gospel of John, John 4, the way she asked it. Even the way she asked the question when she went back to the people of her city, she asked it in a way that assumed a yes answer. She didn't go back and say, this is the Messiah. Because in her culture, a woman would never come back and tell men, this is what it is. She would ask a question that would presume a yes answer, but they would have to come and confirm that, which is what she did. She came and shared it, told a little bit about it, but they had to come and confirm it. They did come and confirm it, and through her testimony, through her sharing that, um, it allowed for them to then, many of them come listen to Christ and open the gospel for them as well. Now, just remind us in, about this personal style. And, and, and it's funny that you said what you did, Janice, because this is what I wrote as I was thinking through this article, wrapping it up. Our personal style doesn't guarantee results. That's what we don't want to think. 
that this the survey was to show if I do it that way, it guarantees results. Well, then should we change our results? No, no, no. It, it, is, it is showing us that's the best way that God has geared us to be able to share our faith. But still, at the end of the day, it is still going to be the power of God through the Word of God that's going to change people's lives. So that is, for you, like you said, you're inviting everybody because that's just naturally who you are and what you will do. That doesn't necessarily mean that if I'm friendly with a lot of people because I'm interpersonal that they're all going to trust Christ. No, they just might be like, hey, that's a nice guy. But I start talking Christ and talking sin and talking what they're, ta- what they're doing, and they're going to be like, uh, he's not a nice guy. I don't like this guy anymore. All right? So our interpersonal style doesn't guarantee results. It does help us see the platform that God has created us potentially to use to be, I won't say most effective, but more effective in how we communicate the gospel. Because I don't want to, again, make it sound like I'm saying, if you do it this way, now it's going to work. All right? But it does more naturally work with who you are. Phyllis, you're going to say something? Being saved as an adult, I look back on my life to look at the seeds that God had planted over the 28 years before I finally realized my need and accepted Christ. God uses every venue. He used everyone, everyone, all six of these in some way or other in those 28 years. He used someone who crossed my life to invite me to um, to meet my needs, to interact with me, to you know, to be assertive with me. Jan was assertive with me, and I got really mad at her. He <laughs> told my stepmother on her. <laughs> but but all those things are seeds that God plants. So don't nobody, you know, don't don't gauge your your success in doing that by the results you see with your eyes because sometimes, just like with Abraham and other people, God said they didn't see the results until they came face to face with God. And that may be I've I've had a struggle with, with that, you know, I mean interpersonal was my high score but but I've had a struggle with the fact that very few people that I have witnessed to have have come to Christ when I witnessed them, it's been later, later with someone else. So whatever seeds I planted, were they? I can't negate them. God used me to plant them, but you know, I didn't. I didn't see a lot of results. Just like Janice, you know, we should have a class on like how to invite people to church and how to. Because I end up getting awkward, <laughs> and then I seem pushy. <laughs> Like, I met someone at the park, and I was like, you hang out a lot around here? <laughs> it got real awkward. And then, and then I was like, all right, never mind. <laughs> well, and, and again, you know, here's, here's what we're illustrating. Here's what we're illustrating, though. The beauty of this room is, and, and again, if we expanded this into other people who took this survey at Community, there are some of us who would be really good at bringing people into our homes Relating with people, comfortable with that. There are other people in this room that that would be horrifying. That would be hard for them. And then there are people who can be very good at getting people, having them in. But if this person stonewall them in a conversation, they would just be like the turtle sticking the head back in the shell. But if you've got a Christian friend that's with you who's assertive at that table, they might be willing to step up and go, yes, but, and push back. So again, that, that is the beauty of how God intends it to be. And that is, um, I, you know, it doesn't mean that if you're interpersonal and just have people come to your home, maybe if you know that they're a pretty smart cookie, invite somebody who's in this room who is more of a thinker. And they can be ready in that friendship, that relationship, to be able to answer those questions. Or somebody who can be willing. This person's been saying to you, I'm an atheist, I'm an atheist, I'm an atheist. It's almost like a calling card. Like I say that, you'll leave me alone. But they really want to engage you. They do. They don't often want you to go away. They want to engage you because they want to see if they can beat you at their game. Well, maybe they can. Because their game is a, is a, is a losing game. All right, It's just talking circular reasoning, really, in many respects. So all that to say, crud, we're done. 
Because <laughs> I, my little, my wife's looking at me like, what in the world was that? It was my alarm that I set, so I won't forget. Here's what I would love to do, and we didn't have time. I was hoping we could do it. All the way to the very end, discuss the issue was brainstorm ways that we can use our approaches. And honestly, I think at some point, maybe next week, we'll come back and revisit that. Maybe that's how we'll start. I ask you to think about that this week. We'll come back to that and think of, for your particular style, or maybe your style and one other, what are some specific, practical ways that we can use that style to share our faith, all right? I'll send that, hopefully, in an email to you, but as you go out tonight, please don't forget to get your half sheet of paper on the way out the door uh, for your homework. All right, let's pray, and we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we've had tonight to be reminded again that what you are doing is part of the beauty of the body of Christ. We are different. We are intended to be different, but yet the same because we are all one in Christ. We are all forgiven by Christ. We all share the blood of Christ that has covered our sin. And yet we are different because by design, by intentional, sovereign plan, you put us where we ha- where we are and in the way we are so that we will be best used to invite people, to relate to people, to think through things with people, to challenge people, or simply just to serve and love people, all with the view toward pointing them to Christ. So help us to keep this in mind. Help us to pursue those opportunities you give us in our given approach, as well as other areas that might be outside our comfort zone, so that your glory can be seen, we pray in Christ's name.